passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Welcome everybody to rewind a raw. My name is Wei Ting, and if you're hearing my voice, that means John Pollock is somewhere off the map right now. Who knows where he is, but um, the man is uh, taking just a brief leave of absence. John will join me again tomorrow on Rewind Away and all the other subsequent shows this weekend. But taking his place just for a very brief while, I am so honored to be doing a show with Brother Nate Milton, the king of sport, the the... the the Nubian wrestling advocate himself. Nate, how you doing? I'm doing well, Brother Ting. I mean, I was just minding my own business out here in Virginia, and, and all of a sudden, Way showed up in my room, listeners, and, and he said, John Pollock has disappeared, so we need you to answer the call. And so I suited up and, and hopped in the multiverse machine, and, and Way and I are now here to talk about a, a truly monumental, I guess you could say, <laughs> episode of Monday Night Raw. Are are you sure about that? Have have you not reviewed a divorce episode of either WCW or TNA Impact in in your lifetime? I could swear that would, this has already been done. I know we've done weddings uh, that have ended badly. I'm not sure if I've ever reviewed a divorce angle before. Amazing. Well, let's let's go through this whole process together, Nate. Um, <laughs> hey, how you I'm, doing, Way? It's been a long time since since uh, it, you and I have done a show. Been, yeah, so John. John usually gets all the fun talking to you, like for, for your impact reviews. Of course, you know, you have a, a great roster of, of guests on the Rocky Maya Via Picture Show heard on this very podcast feed. But we haven't really had a chance to talk just solo in a while. Um, I've been well, man. Yeah, I've been well. Just busy with all this. Yes, <laughs> I've been busy as well, my friend. And, and uh, as you mentioned, the the multitude of podcasts that, that I'm working on. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad uh, that the holidays are coming up. So maybe, you know, you, me and John and. And everybody involved at Post can can have a little bit of a break, even though I know that won't happen. <laughs> you know, it's kind of honestly like with our schedule, like because like we're, we're going to Japan as well for Wrestle Kingdom, like mm. we have to do a lot of pre-recording ahead of time. So it's it, there definitely will still be some time for for a break, but you know it's it's pretty consistent and pretty constant. Uh, but nonetheless, it's it's a dream job. So how can we really complain? Um, did you do any shopping? Are you done all your shopping right now? Yeah, I do my shopping online. Like I've completely given up on going to real stores, uh, <laughs> like brick and mortars. Like I, I, I guess it's just convenience, and also why deal with crazy people during the holidays when you don't have to. 
Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. No, I totally understand. We like John and I have been talking about this all week about just how um how much better life is when you don't have to deal with other people <laughs> or you only you only deal with them uh, via computer screen, I guess. No, there there are social elements of I think the whole thing that that you know, you can miss, but yeah. for the most part, I mean, I I prefer to not do that type of socializing during the holidays when everybody's there. And I think, like, if if my nieces lived up here in Virginia, that might be different, you know, because I think with kids especially, you know, taking them to the mall to meet Santa or, you know, letting them window shop and stuff like that, that can be fun. But you know, I'm a grown-ass man, waiting. I don't need to sit on nobody's lap. I know exactly what I'm going to buy people for Christmas. So I can do that from the comfort of my own home. And I think you're the smarter person for it because that leaves you plenty of extra time to watch professional wrestling. Yes. Such as- such as tonight. So thank you from all of us, all of the listeners. I'm sure thanking you very much, Nate, for, um, I guess, um, um, drawing the the wonderful three hour long straw that um, you know made made uh, you you uh, willingly sacrificed your evening for tonight. So thank you for that. We will get to the review very quickly, and maybe along with a little bit of news, Nate, if you don't mind, uh, getting some uh, giving us some of your takes on 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 the things that are going on right now. But first. Some housekeeping here. Mm. The lineup this week on the Post Wrestling uh, Office, Post Wrestling Cafe is stacked. So, of course, like I mentioned, John comes back tomorrow. We are reunited for our latest edition of Rewind Away, talking about ECW on TNN from December 31st, 1999. This is a treat for everybody because it is only 45 minutes and it is stacked itself, featuring a main event of Mike Awesome taking on Masato Tanaka, Raven versus Mikey Whipwreck, and Tajiri versus Super Crazy. So it feels like a real quintessential ECW in its prime type of show that John and I will be discussing. And that is, of course, uh, the choice of Robert Brocky, the postmaster himself. So thank you, postmaster, for choosing a 45-minute show for all of us. <laughs> I love uh, that selection, man, because like ECW on TNN, I had such high hopes for that. When, mm-hmm. when it came out back in the day and, and how they tried to team it up with Roller Jam as if that was the perfect lead-in, like Roller Derby going into wrestling. But, yeah, it didn't work. So, RIP ECW on TNN. Wednesday, we have the return of Rewinded Dynamite. And up next, of course, as usual, Thursday is our cafe hangout discussing, I would say, uh, a, a t- an incredibly tight race in the ratings war mm. on Wednesday nights. Friday, there's a very special edition of the British Wrestling Experience where Jamesy of the British Wrestling Experience actually took two hours to conduct this extensive interview with David Starr. We put out a little teaser today on our uh, Instagram and our Twitter, um, and you're going to you know hear all about David Starr's year. I would say a banner year for him in his career, having what many c- people are considering the match of the year of 2019 against... Jordan Devlin from OTT's fifth anniversary show. So hear him talk about that. Hear him talk about his feud against Walter stepping on the NXT UK title. Uh, just one, I would say one of the more uh, talked about, you know, if not the most talked about indie star right now, who is truly an indie star, I would say. So listen to that. Subscribe to the British Wrestling Experience wherever you download your podcast. Friday evening, it's a special edition of Rewind a Smackdown on our Patreon, where I'll be going through the show, much like this, while John will be going through ROH's final battle pay-per-view. And a special note on that, ROH has actually offered its first hour of that pay-per-view for free at 7 p.m. on Facebook, uh, Fight TV, and cable providers. So 
I, I think, Nate, probably taking advantage of SmackDown's audience at 8 o'clock. So if you're sitting down a little bit early, maybe you'd want to give uh, Final Battle, or at least the first hour of Final Battle, a bit of a shot. Yeah, I think that's actually a smart maneuver. And, you know, I, I get that ROH hadn't had the most pleasant buzz around them lately, but I think that's a smart move. It's it's a show where I think, you know, a lot of, uh, I mean, there's, I don't even know. I would say, like, it's it's important to, like, have them, for them to have a really strong effort because there's a lot of pressure on them. But I don't even know how much pressure there is on them because I don't know how many people are talking about this show. Mm. Um, but nonetheless, if they if they had a really strong showing, I, I think, you know, it, a bad show would, would, would certainly not be um, good for, for them right now. Saturday, uh, John is back with Phil Chertok doing the UFC 245 post show. Sunday, we got WH Park with special guest Sarah Flan on his latest edition of Thunderstruck, talking about Jushin Liger versus Tyler Breeze from NXT TakeOver in 2015. Sunday night, finally, to end this week, John Pollock, myself, and special guest Mike Murray will be back for our TLC post show where we will talk about not just TLC, but also NWA's Into the Fire pay-per-view from Saturday night. So that'll be available for free on this feed after the fact, but if you want to tune in live, Double Double Ice Cafe and Espresso patrons can tune in at postwrestlingcafe.com. So a packed week here at Post Wrestling with a number of uh, our favorite friends appearing uh, throughout the whole the whole uh, uh, week. So thank you, Nate, starting with you. Uh, you know, that's what the holidays are for, Way Family coming back together. It, it is so much so. And you know what? I would say the holidays are also for submitting your entries for our Ooh. annual Christmas <laughs> jingle contest. Uh, of course, this is something we do every year for our Christmas show that we drop on December 24th. And uh, the entries are being accepted right now at forum.postwrestling.com. And Nate, I know you are friends with this uh, uh, gentleman, but do you know if we might be getting a, 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 a an entry from Braxton Witherspoon in the Smart Marks this year? I, mean, I haven't talked to Braxton in a while. Uh, actually, it might have been since last Christmas, but but I think there's a good chance that the smart marks might drop another Christmas classic this year, because much like Mannheim steamroller or the trans Siberian orchestra, like they don't, they only work once a year. And so uh, there, there's a good chance we, we, we might get a, a track from the smart marks, but what, what, what I'm waiting for waiting is I need Elmo to come back strong this year. Elmo. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty once, once in a year uh, <laughs> infrequent. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know. I wonder if we scared Elmo away last year or if he scared us away permanently. I don't know. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder. I wonder how far that gentleman can, can go. Like, it, like, can you imagine, like, whoever it is that does the Elmo thing for us? Like, this is what Christmas start is starting to represent to this person. <laughs> you know, his family's like, you know, hey, like, what are you doing for the holidays? Probably going to make another Christmas jingle parody in, <laughs> in the voice of Elmo. For this wrestling uh, podcast. He, he so. goes all Joaquin Phoenix at the dinner table. Call me Elmo. <laughs> well, we're all grateful for it. I hope to hear more, something oh. from Elmo again this year. And uh, something from all of you, because we are taking deadlines. Uh, we're taking uh, entries until the deadline of Saturday, Saturday, December the 21st. So mm. next Saturday, everybody. So get your entries in form.postwrestling.com. Well, you, do you want to get into some news there, Nate? Yeah, let, let's talk about some news, Way. I would say perhaps, you know, the, the most talked about uh, news item of the day is the WWE's announcement of the first inductees into their 2020 Hall of Fame. And mm. they are starting with 
as first reported by, I believe this was um, uh, uh, People Magazine, who got the exclusive. David Bautista is the first entrant. And then quickly afterwards, I believe uh, ESPN, Mark Ramondi reported that the NWO being represented by Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and Sean Waltman are also being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Your thoughts on these inductees? First of all, I just love like the selection process for what story we're going to give to what outlet. Uh but I think Batista's like obviously a no-brainer. Like not only for what he did in the company, but the star that he's become since, you know, leaving the company with the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and Stuber and uh uh Stuber especially. Yeah, <laughs> especially Stuber. And uh That's why he's getting in. Isn't he gonna be in the new uh, Suicide Squad as well? I believe so. I, I mean I who knows? I'm not sure. I mean I know Cena's in it, I I I'd forget. Yeah, I, I wonder though if if the, the the tweet interaction between him and Dana Brooke is what put him over the top though, because that that was a masterpiece by by Big Dave. Yes. Uh, yes. The NWO though is 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 interesting to me though, way because yes, obviously the group deserves it, but the selection of the people involved and the fact that Eric Bischoff is not involved with that group it it makes me scratch my head a little bit. Well, it makes you wonder, I mean, this is my next question, who you think will be inducting everybody, because Batista has publicly tweeted that he would like Fit Finley to induct him. Ooh. And, um, you know, on that note, I, I don't really see anybody better than Eric Bischoff to do the same for the NWO if he's mm. not going to be inducted himself. I, I can certainly see that. And I think, you know, Bischoff having left on good terms from all we've heard way it, it would work and it'd be a fit. And I'm sure Eric would give a great speech introducing the group. Uh, but I think it would be a greater honor for him to get inducted with the group because he was so important, you know, for the mm. formation of the NWO. You know, he didn't come up with the concept, but he was the one that stole the concept. So you should get a man credit for stealing the concept. The other thing with this, though, way is, and I'm sure, you know, other fans may or may not have the same thoughts as I do on this, but. I get honoring the NWO. I'm just not at a place where I'm down to give Terry Bollea any more prestige or any more accolades right now. I totally, totally agree, and I totally understand. I mean, it's hard to believe, but it's like only been, what, a year since he made his return at that yeah. uh, Crown Jewel show? And in that time, I mean, I feel like they've really kind of, you know, almost like it it was almost like magic where I like, I remember my reaction to seeing Hulk Hogan back on that show. And it was so like, it was really negative on my part, but like a year in, I have to admit, like it almost feels normal. Like they've normalized his return for sure to the point now where I think, you know, he, him being announced for, for this induction ceremony for the NWO, nobody of course really bats an eye. It's just, you know, kind of common insurance. He's back. Yeah. And from, from the company standpoint, I get it because Part of the Hall of Fame is about selling tickets and getting people to watch uh, on the network. So I get it. But, yeah, I'm just I'm happy for, you know, guys like Waltman uh, that, that he's getting some shine. But, yeah, I could I could do without the Hulk Hogan love. <laughs> I definitely like, yeah, coming out, out of this is like I think a lot of people were perplexed why Waltman was included. But I'm with you. Like the dude just seems like such a cool dude uh, that induct the man twice. Like I don't have a huge, yeah. huge issue with it. So so that's the Hall of Fame, everybody. That takes place on the Thursday of WrestleMania weekend this year. So that's uh, the night before SmackDown. Uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling has announced 
its full lineup for both nights of Wrestle Kingdom. How how much are you keeping up with the New Japan these days, Nate? Not a lot, way. Like I, I think the last time I really was invested in New Japan, and it's not because the the product hadn't been good. It's just you know due to there's only so much wrestling mm-hmm. one human being can watch in a week. But I think you know the G1 was probably the last time I was really paying attention to New Japan. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that you were you're you're even like alone in that like where I even personally feel myself that I think you know what's going on on this side of the world between NXT and AEW has just taken so much precedence over what mm. New Japan has been offering for the second half of its year so John and I of course recorded a bonus World Tag League post show last night on our Patreon so if you want to get a little bit more caught up before Wrestle Kingdom you can listen to that but uh, early Monday morning New Japan announced its full full lineups for Wrestle Kingdom and on night one of course you have the uh, IWGP Heavyweight Championship match between Kazuchika Okada versus Kota Ibushi. Uh, the IWGP IC title match between Jay White versus Naito. On night two, the two winners of those matches will meet to determine the first double champion in mm. uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling history. And then the losers will meet as well to, you know, just say, I won something that weekend. <laughs> um, also on that first night, we got Will Ospreay versus Hiromu Takahashi. And coming off of uh, World Tag League, of course, we have Lance Archer defending the U.S. Heavyweight Championship against John Moxley in a Texas death match. That also is on night one. Uh, rounding out the title matches in night one are the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championship as the Gorillas of Destiny defend against Finn Juice, the winners of the World Tag League. Uh, and then that's also kind of followed up with, with a number of like eight-man tags between Chaos, Bullet Club, and then also LIJ and Suzuki Gun. Nothing really new to report there. The only other thing that uh, was is worth mentioning on the card, of course, is the Jushin Liger retirement match. And that first night features Tiger Mask, Great Sasuke, Tatsumi Fujinami, and Jushin Thunder Liger taking on Ryusuke, Ryusuke Taguchi, Tatsuhiro Takaiwa, Shinjiro Otani, and Naoki Sano. Night two, of course, as we mentioned, the uh, t- the championship tournament. We also have Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Chris Jericho. For the Never Open Openweight Championship, we have Kenta defending it against Hiroki Goto. And the, we also have um, oh an extra challenge here where the winner of Lance Archer and John Moxley's Texas death match will be defending the U.S. Heavyweight Championship against Juice Robinson. Mm. Also, for the, for the Rev Pro British Heavyweight Championship, Zack Sabre Jr. defends against Sonata. For the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship, it's Alphantasmo and Taiji Ishimori defending against Rapongi 3K. And rounding out that card, the opening card of the opening match of this particular card is Jushin Thunder Liger's final match ever. Jushin Thunder Liger teams with Naoki Sano, a longtime rival, against the former Dragon Lee, now known as Ryu Lee, and Hiromu Takahashi. So, um, you know, I'm a little disappointed that we're not going to get a singles match for Liger's last match. But, uh, you know, uh, it's it's a great way to showcase Dragon Lee. Um, hey. Obviously a great way to showcase Romo Takahashi. Either way, I imagine it to be a pretty sentimental and emotional moment. Um, might not be sort of... I, I wonder if it says anything about maybe Liger's confidence and his, his abilities to deliver, like, that great singles match. If all his matches, like, pretty much in this last run are all multi-man matches. Um, either way, it, it should be, you know, a very emotional affair. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a great, great night or great, two great nights. Um, and yeah, like Liger, Liger could literally go out their way and just put on a chin lock for 10 minutes and people would just be so appreciative. 
people of him. Will, be, will be crying. Yeah. Like, I'll be sitting next to WH. I'll have oh. the tissues ready. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, somebody please make sure WH is cared for because uh, that, that is going to be a very uh, emotional moment. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think like I'm, I'm, I think the match I'm most excited for probably is uh, Okada Ibushi. But in terms of what is probably going to hit me the hardest, it's it's going to be that li- that last Liger match. Remains to be seen. Certainly, you know how this like two card format works out because we're getting, you know, plenty of title matches both nights. But I, I think also, I don't even really want to say filler matches because nothing really mm. feels like it's filler. But at the same time, some of these eight man tags don't necessarily feel like they are worthy of a Wrestle Kingdom spot. Yeah, uh, I, I was going to ask you that way. Like, do you think I've obviously, you know, they they've got a plan in place here, but do you think they'd be better served kind of taking the four or five best matches from each card and making it on one show. Honestly, it remains to be seen. Uh, you know, my, 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 what I'm also curious about is like how long these shows are, mm, you know, whether yeah. or not the, the, the time of the shows get cut down because they can be very much marathons right now. We're looking at about eight matches per show. I believe it is eight if I'm doing my math properly. So, um, it could be perhaps more manageable. I, um, uh, you, you, it's something I think we'll we'll talk about certainly after the first uh, first night or even first uh, both nights. They also announced uh, their full lineups for all their Koroku and Hall shows leading up to the the Tokyo Dome events, and this of course um, features the return of Hiromu Takahashi in ring, where he'll be teaming up with Bushi on the first night against the Birds of Prey. Uh, all tag team matches pretty much with with Hiromu, and uh, also Jushin Thunder Liger's final matches at Koroku and Hall. So. You can tune in for all of that at uh, New Japan World. Um, some uh, other notes. New Japan also announced their first tour, U.S. tour of 2020, operating under, of course, New Japan of USA. They'll be going to Tampa, Nashville, Raleigh, Miami, and Atlanta from Ooh. January 24th to February 1st. So I, I like that loop. Like, Raleigh is, is certainly within within driving distance. So, yeah, shout out to New Japan for, for representing the South. They have not uh, announced the cards or lineups or who's going to be on these shows yet. And at this point, who knows when you might hear about that. Definitely at least after Wrestle Kingdom. But um, that's the first, uh, I think, uh, loop under the New Japan of USA banner. Uh, Chris Statlander and Big Swole have officially signed to AEW. um, Two women that they've been featuring. Well, Chris Statlander, of course, featured uh, heavily on this last week's edition of Dynamite. And Big Swole making a number of appearances on Dark recently. Uh, any thoughts on either of those signings, Nate? I think those are two good signings for the AEW women's division, a division which, by all kind of objective accounts, I, I think you could say, way has been one of the less strong parts of the show. Uh, yeah. But I think, you know, adding Statlander uh, and adding Swole is, is a great addition. I also think, like, I, one of the things that I wish they would do, and I don't know if it's, you know, because of contracts or people – can't come to an agreement or things of that nature, but I wish we would see more veterans come in for a bit, like we saw uh, with Jazz and Mercedes Martinez at the at that Battle Royal, because mm. I think you got some good talent in the AEW's women's division, but a lot of it is green, and you know I think like outside of Emmy Sakura and, and Awesome Kong, most of these girls are fairly fairly young, you know, and Rio too, I guess, but most of them are fairly young, fairly new. And I think having people like a uh, Jazz or uh, Mercedes Martinez or Lufisto could add add some depth and also, you know, help those uh, younger girls get up to speed. 
you know, like Mercedes Martinez was like somebody that they featured prominently in that battle royal. Haven't heard anything about her being a part of AEW since then. Um, I totally understand uh, what you're saying. Some releases over the weekend, Nate. Uh, I already heard you and uh, uh, um, uh, Chris from LA uh, talk about some, and Rich Fan talk about some of this on on your uh, latest edition of uh, the Nubian Wrestling Advocates on the Kings of Sport Patreon, which has become a, a must listen every single month. But um, actually, you didn't get to talk about this. I heard you guys talk about ACH. But in addition to ACH over the weekend, WWE, of course, released Luke Harper, Sin Cara, and The Ascension. And today, there were lots of tweets of support from WWE wrestlers, in particular towards uh, The Ascension and Luke Harper. Um, Dave Meltzer has confirmed that there are no compete clauses for all of these wrestlers for the next 90 days. So essentially, uh, if the date was yesterday that they were released, they will be free to sign March 8th elsewhere. So, any thoughts on these uh, releases, Nate? I think that when these releases first came out, a lot of what you saw on Twitter and social media way was, oh, such and such should go to AEW, such and such should show up, uh, you know, on on Dynamite. And I think that's something, as I know, I know it's tempting for fans to kind of do these what if scenarios, but I think we need to kind of pump our brakes on that because. AEW to me is not, and they should not be in the business of just signing everybody that gets released from the WWE. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, the Ascension did as best as they could given the gimmicks they were given on the main roster uh, or the, uh, the uh, angles they were given on the main roster. And uh, I was a big fan of Luke Harper. It just never seemed to work out either due to booking or injuries or a combination of both. But I would say, like, if you're an AEW fan and you're looking at these guys like, yeah, that's what's going to turn things around, I think that's the wrong mentality because, yes, adding a Luke Harper can add some variety to your show, add some depth to your show, but you shouldn't get into that TNA trap, you know, way, thinking back to the review and impact days of just signing every single WWE dude when that no-compete comes up. I totally agree with you. I think... And I feel like AEW, you know, WWE themselves must realize that where um, maybe several months ago, the story might have been different. But I think seeing what AEW's roster currently looks like and the fact that I think they still have a number of talents that need to get onto TV to be made mm -hmm. ahead of, you know, potential signings like a Luke Harper or The Ascension. Uh, I just don't necessarily see them posing that big of a threat, I suppose, to WWE if, if that is, you know, was any concern several months ago. Where do you see these talents lining up, if not AEW? Honestly, I think the NWA would be great for the Ascension as they come in. And because the NWA kind of fits what they wanted the gimmick to be on WWE TV as mm -hmm. this throwback to the Road Warriors, the demolition. I think they could fit. Luke Harper is another person I could see in uh, an AEW. Uh, maybe, even, maybe even in the Impact. Like, I think he could add some spice to the Impact roster. Uh, but yeah, I think those would be better landing spots for them than AEW, in my opinion, because you're right, Way. Like, we still haven't really gotten Sean Spears to the place where he needs to be. We still haven't really given Sonny Kiss his fair shake on uh, Dynamite yet. So there's other guys that need to be taken care of before you bring in these WWE dudes. So those are the stories today. Postwrestling.com is where you can find all of that information as we get into Raw. W. W.E. Raw, the divorce edition. And that's how it starts off. Lana Rusev, divorce. 
Jerry Lawler's in the ring. He's here to watch over the proceedings because who knows more about divorces <laughs> on that roster than Jerry Lawler. So Lana and Rusev both come out, and Rusev comes out wearing this Donald Duck T-shirt. Mm. He's all smiles. It's it's as if he's on vacation, and this is the happiest day of his life. <laughs> There's a moment here where they cut to Samoa Joe, <laughs> who has the lentum analysis to this thing, <laughs> which I just found really uh, unintentionally funny. So, Lana says, "Is it just me? Why you're like has Samoa Joe become like?" low-key one of the better wwe announcers well it's only been like what two three weeks and um yeah i i, I would say low-key sure yes he, he might be um did you was there something that stood out about his commentary for this particular segment i just feel like joe joe is in on the joke but at the same time the character of samoa joe is so nonplussed and so kind of over this stuff that it's it's a nice kind of dichotomy to the way he the way he announces. Like he he cares about what he's watching, but at the same time, he's not too pressed by it. Mm. So Lana says, despite whatever happened between them, she used to love Rusev, and that Rusev will never find anybody like her who loves him like she does. Lana blames the WWE universe for ruining their marriage, and then Lana just goes on to have this huge tantrum in, in the ring, cuts a promo on the audience. Um, they start arguing about who should be signing the contract first because they each want to go first. Then they argue about who gets to keep their puppy. Um, and this was just fucking unbearable. <laughs> um, how did you like? How were how were you doing up until this point, Nate? Oh, here's the thing, waiting. I think I need to be, I need to be completely honest with the listeners uh, because I my attention was divided tonight. Because uh, for those that know, like, I'm, I'm big into the superhero stuff. And tonight on the CW was night two of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh, should we be breaking that down? Should we switch to the podcast? Right about yeah, I, think, yeah, I think there was, much, there was, a, there was a lot better storytelling uh, on the CW. <laughs> but uh, so I'm flipping back and forth. And so I'm like, okay, they're starting with the divorce. Let's see what's going on with the divorce. Uh, and... <laughs> I, I don't fault Rusev or Lana in their performance, but this whole storyline, like, I get it. I get that it's just kind of cheesy, throwaway fun, but, it, it like, it hadn't worked for me since they started the angle with, with yeah. Lana and Lashley. And so I'm, I'm sitting here watching this the whole time, way, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, damn, Tom Weller from Smallville might be on TV right now. Should I switch? And I'm like, no. I have to do my duty for the postmarks. I will stick this out to the bitter end. And uh, I, I think the biggest thing for me is why, why did we need to go through all of this to get to the match? It, it felt like, yes, I get it. I get the divorce angle. But if the ultimate goal of this is to build towards Rusev and Lashley, I don't know if like, I, this angle certainly didn't help Lashley. I think Rusev might've got something out of this, but, they're, they could add something better for these two. So well, I guess my question date is Tom Welling, Brandon Routh, who else? Oh, Kevin Conroy was on the night. Wow. Uh, the voice of Batman. Uh, Black Lightning was in the crossover. It was, it was, it was a big deal away. That sounds amazing. All right, so, <laughs> so Lana signs this thing. Rusev doesn't, says he needs something else from her. And Lana asks, what is it? Sex again? And they list all the places they've had sex. Um, 
Lana says he's sick. Rusev is sick like the people in this arena. And Rusev finally finally reveals that in order to sign, he wants a match with Lashley. So Lashley comes out and says after this divorce, he intends to ask Lana to marry him. And then Rusev said, she's all yours. She's just bad. He just wants to live happily. So Rusev signs. And then this is when Bobby Lashley attacks, slams his head on the table. But Rusev fights back and belly to belly suplexes Lashley through this table. Uh, featuring some, you know, in the background, very over-the-top facial expressions from Lana selling it all. Uh, so uh, you would assume tables match coming off yes. of this. Yes. Um, I haven't seen it officially announced yet, but, I mean, that is, I think, the very clear uh, uh, intention here. You know, this this segment, like, it made me feel funny inside. Like, like I was just, like, you know, forced to watch a video I really didn't want to see. Mm. Um, but, like... Nate, all that said, everything that you said earlier, I, I, I don't disagree with, but this crowd reacts big for all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know, like Rusev is a far bigger babyface now than he was before. And while these segments, you know, I've certainly received great criticism from its hardcore online fan base, from a fan base like ours, from a podcast like ours, live, I, I'm really sad to admit that these continue to work really well. And it's weird because. I, I get that the audience going to the live show is different in, in some ways, much different than the audience sitting at home watching raw, but I don't, I don't get how like those, like these opinions can be so vastly different. Another thing that might've affected my viewing of this segment way was a tweet that you retweeted over the weekend. Uh, oh, yes. I forget right. the woman's name that, that wrote the tweet and I couldn't help, but th- she was bringing up kind of, the underlying misogyny in in this angle, and I couldn't get that out of my mind. Yeah, especially when Lana was bringing up the sex part, and that, so I think that that may, that may have tempered whatever enjoyment I could have gotten out of this segment. It was a tweet from Kate underscore McDonald M A C D O N A L T, who basically I think you know enlightened myself and you know anybody who perhaps read this thing about how it. One of the details of how this angle started was. That when it came time for Lana to finally explain why she left Lashley, her reasoning was that, uh, sorry, to leave Rusev, her reasoning was that Rusev constantly demanded sex. And I think, you know, to like a longtime wrestling fan, male wrestling fan who might have listened to that, like, I didn't think it was anything. I thought it was like, oh, okay, another like corny, like stupid, you know, wrestling reason, of course. Uh, The guy really wanted to have sex and the audience cheered at, at, you know, the mentions of that. Um, But like the way Kate kind of like put it into context was that like, I mean, it was conditioning your audience to feel like um, a a woman should be vilified for, you know, like a woman denying sex to her husband is something to be vilified. Whereas, you know, a husband, Demanding sex. Like, in fact, there was a, a portion of that segment where Rusev said, can you blame me? And in fact, I found it really interesting about how, because I went back afterwards to rewatch the segment online. And WWE, for whatever reason, what could be due to, due to time or could be for another reason, they edited that particular comment out. Interesting. Um, so, I mean, I just, it, it kind of made me rethink about the whole thing. Obviously, like, uh, my... It, it's it's a conversation that like I personally don't even feel ready to have in professional wrestling because I think the bar is set so low that mm. you know like the topic of like um, consent or like 
I think the interpretation of something that might, you know, go against the idea of of consent is not even something I I feel like wrestling is is ready to have, uh, much less like me being able to present it in an accurate way. So I, you know, I I I, I uh, appreciate people like Kate, you know, bringing their perspective, and you know, as always, we welcome our audience's perspective perspectives on on things that we might not see. Yeah, I, I was. Like like you said, I hadn't even thought of it, and I I like to think of myself way as somebody that that can can kind of see uh, all different sides when I watch my wrestling. But yeah, that was a blind spot for me, and so I'm glad that she brought it up. And yeah, it didn't help uh, my enjoyment of this segment. The other thing that didn't help way is I know it's a nice check, you know, to be be working up there with Vince, but have they done anything meaningful with Bobby Lashley since he came back? Well, this would be it. <laughs> yeah, I think this might be the best because uh, he did the Sami Zayn stuff with the sisters. He did yeah. the the deal with Leo Rush where he was flexing his, his ass at, at the crowd every week. So uh, this might yes. be the highlight of the Bobby Lashley return. Yeah, up until this point. <laughs> All righty. Um, we'll have to pick this up, pick this conversation back up some other time, Nate. Um, Kevin Owens is in the back with Charlie and Charlie asks Owens if he's figured out why AOP attacked him last week. And Owens says it's because Rollins is their leader. And he's sure that he's sure of it. Um, he's sure that Rollins got AOP to attack him because he, he was the only person who spoke up against Rollins in that uh, backstage town hall thing or, or town hall deal. And then Owens reveals that he got away last week after being abducted from AOP. Now he's going to look for them for revenge. So Owens runs into Rey Mysterio, who says his homie has Owens back and he refers to his lead pipe as the homie who he lends to Kevin Owens in his search against AOP. Matt Hardy is about to face Drew McIntyre and as Drew comes out, he starts cutting a promo on Matt telling the audience that Matt just had his third kid last week with his wife Rebecca, but says the kid is probably cross-eyed Drew says in ring, Matt Hardy has been very successful, but outside of the ring, he's made some bad decisions. So he's not sure if Matt should be reproducing. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Damn. That's uh... mean. <laughs> really mean words from Drew, but it did set the match off to a really hot, hot start, putting the crowd against uh, behind Matt Hardy. So we get the match. Hardy's in full control until he eats a future shock DDT from Drew. And then it's just a quick Claymore Claymore kick for the quick victory in a very brief match you know not much here as far as the match goes but it was a really nasty promo from drew that mm. gave the crowd a lot of support for hardy yeah I, I like this like i think one of the better things that they've been doing on raw lately way is kind of these glorified squash matches where you get somebody the level of a matt hardy or the level of uh, a buddy murphy or the level of uh, a sin cara like somebody that has a name and that we know that's not just some random jobber and you give the, the person that you really want to put over a strong win over them. And so I, I like it. I think Drew has a ton of potential. I just don't know where his lane is right now with Seth as your top heel. It's um, I, I think they're doing a good job with him, whatever their intent is. I mean, clearly, I think right now they, they just want to make him into a, a focused, you know, pro uh, priority on Raw, and it, 
it was a nasty promo here that you know um, gave him a strong TV win as well. I guess my my other question is: Do you think that this this jobber role is all there is for Matt Hardy, or do you feel like there there's something in the works for him? Because this nostalgic like Team Extreme Matt Hardy mm. coming up from out of nowhere seems really unusual. Um, you know, like it almost feels like it is meant to lead up to some sort of transformation. Do you think it's that, or or do you think it's it's just this? I wish it was more than this way, but I think it might be just this. And it's it's crazy. Like, the WWE can't get out of their own way sometimes because in a world where we now have this Bray Wyatt Fiend character, it seems like the perfect time for them to have had some kind of incorporation with Broken Matt Hardy. Like, he fits to me in, in that Bray Wyatt world. But we've got him over here, you know, cosplaying as his as his younger self. He's cosplaying as Earth One Matt Hardy. And I, I think that might be <laughs> where that might be the position he's stuck in for a while. Yeah. I mean it's it's almost too bad because I feel like that ship's kind of sailed where they, they tried and yeah. they, they didn't really kind of figure it out. Um I, I, you know, it makes you wonder, like, the from what I hear, Bray Wyatt has a great deal of autonomy in deciding creatively what he wants to do. And I think seeing some of the, the results of, like, those those videos with, like, the muscle man dance, like, I don't know how much, like, Vince mm. is, is stepping into all that. Like, it, that feels like it's just really coming from one dude. So, you know, if Matt Hardy, for his broken ultimate deletion, whatever uh, he they, they wanted to do, if he had that same level of autonomy... And maybe he did, you know, I don't even really know how much, like what exactly happened there, but yeah. it, it, it did not land as, as much as obviously, you know, his TNA run did. So we'll see no. if this is it. We'll and like, I, I, it. I think like if, if he did have the level of autonomy, like then he didn't execute it in, in a way that was effective and, and resonated with the audience. But if, if they limited him just because the idea came from outside instead of from in-house, like it did with Bray Wyatt, like that's short-sighted. Like the the objective should be to put out the best show possible, regardless of where the idea comes from. Charlotte and Becky are backstage. They don't like each other, of course, but Charlotte needs Becky's help against the Kabuki Warriors, and Charlotte reminds Becky that she has problems with them as well. Becky says she would rather face them two on one than to team with Charlotte, and Charlotte says, "Good luck with that." Always is in the back with his pipe. He runs into Mojo Rawley and asks if he's seen AOP. And Mojo is purposely being a dick, you know, misdirecting Owen, saying he's there. He's like, they went this way, and then saying they went the other way. So Owens slaps him hard, really hard. And Owen says, well, you just went that way, pointing down. (laughs) Man, I thought Owens was such a dick here. Like, I mean, yes, Rawley was a dick. But come on, like you don't retaliate with violence just just like that. <laughs> I think if it was anybody else other than Mojo, I would agree with you, way. But why why is Mojo Raleigh here at Raw? Like, what was Mojo Raleigh planning to do uh, making this trip here? Well, I don't know if he's got a job at at Superstar or uh, main event. Maybe he's uh maybe he's <laughs> helping with the catering. Maybe he's moving. Like the crates around. Maybe he thought he could get a get a spot on the the update desk that we'll talk about later. Maybe he's doing the lighting or the camera mm. for it. Maybe. Uh, so anyway, Owens, I will say, it, you know, they they continue to treat him as like a a bit of a badass, you know, who who yeah. really doesn't take shit. Um, 
better than being like like the popcorn eater or whatever he was doing before. The Viking Raiders come out. They issue a ch- an open challenge to any team, and out come the Street Profits. And we have a, a match after a commercial break. Really hot start from the Street Profits. They're going very fast, catching the Raiders off guard. A lot of really impressive dives from, from Montez Ford. Sky High and a Frog Splash are broken up by Ivar at two. They Ivar does his cartwheel spot, but Ford mirrors him, so it's like two guys doing cartwheels that actually look pretty cool. The Raiders gain the advantage and slow things down very briefly. Get a hot tag to Dawkins as he delivers an impressive suplex to Ivar. But the Raiders are too much, and then we get a big knee from uh, Eric, and then the Viking experience to Ford gives the Viking Raiders the win. It was, uh, I would say, a really entertaining few minutes of the match here. Yeah, I was really surprised by this match. I didn't know that they had this good chemistry in the ring. And it ended up being, even though it was short, it ended up being probably one of my favorite segments on Raw tonight. I, I loved that they gave the Street Profits a little bit at the beginning, but then the the brute strength of the Viking Raiders took over. And I love, like, the replay when they showed uh, Ford taking the Viking experience. Just he was going all out to make those, make that move look good. Uh, so I like that, and I like the little show of respect after the match. I really like the psychology in this match of just like you know the smaller team trying to swarm their opponents with speed. I thought yeah. they they managed that really well. Um, and do you think that the like what do you think the Street Profits? You know, what do you what is their role on on Raw <laughs> and in this tag team division? Well, we we saw them get a new role oh, tonight, way true. Yes, uh, and I, I mean, is that it? I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, obviously, they're a talented team, but I think that maybe the people in charge are so enamored with uh, the guy's charisma, especially Montez Ford, mm-hmm. that they think they're better served doing comedy segments than actually wrestling. And I hope that they don't get kind of pigeonholed into that role because as we saw, even in this little short match, like they, they can be really good in the ring. Oh, for sure, yeah. You know, I will say I don't think their loss here like really hurts them at all. Number one, no. because they are so charismatic, but also I I kind of sense them as more of like a team that like, you know, it, that where like championship wins don't necessarily just come easy to them, mm. and that you know they have to continually struggle to, like like they did here in this match wonderfully. You know, where it it was almost like they are the clear underdogs and they had to work really hard and be really smart in order to, to try to beat the Viking Raiders. So. I think for me, like at least I just have more interest in seeing them their next challenge than, you know, this 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 loss really affecting my interest. Yeah, and I think like the moment where they actually do pull the trigger, you know, who knows, maybe it's six months from now, maybe it's a year from now, whenever they do pull the trigger and put the belts on them, it it should be a big moment. Now this segment kinda awkwardly transitions into mm. the next as you know, as as you mentioned, uh, both teams show have a show of respect with one another. And then Seth Rollins' music hits, and he interrupts, and he ha- he basically grabs the mic, says he has something to take care of, invites both teams to stay, but they each just leave. And I, I you know, you we've definitely been noticing on Raw how they their transitions to commercial breaks have kind of like seen segments that would maybe traditionally be separate kind of bleed from one over to the other. I think it works relatively well as like cliffhangers here. Um, certainly by the end of it. I guess you can debate like how how much like sense it makes, but I think it's it's a it's something that they're they're doing well to keep the pace of the show going pretty quickly. Rollins says he has unfinished business with AOP and wants to fight them right now. Instead, Kevin Owens and his pipe show up. 
Owen says he knows AOP aren't here because he hasn't found them. And he accuses Seth of putting on a show right now because he knows he's in charge of AOP. Rollins continues to deny any involvement. And on the Tron, AOP are shown to arrive in their black van as Rollins continues to deny any association and decides to prove his point by leaving the arena. AOP are seen on screen as they speak to Owens in their native language. And at this point, Sami Zayn from SmackDown shows up. And joining him is Mojo Rawley. Zayn says while he's a SmackDown guy, he has applied for a Raw managerial license. And, <laughs> I mean, it appears this could be a, a bit of a permanent thing between Sami Zayn and Mojo Rawley. He says while he's, we, we all know he's not a manager, Sami Zayn says, he's a liberator who sets people free. And says Owens is a prisoner in his own head. Zayn says Owens was out of line for slapping Mojo in the face earlier and tells Owens to apologize. Mojo continues to antagonize Owens and says he's only tough with the steel pipe in his hands. So Owens throws the pipe into Mojo's hands and hits him with the stunner. And he continues to beat the shit out of Mojo Rawley with a pipe. Uh, what do you think about the, the, the segment and, and Kevin Owens? I thought this was a pretty solid segment. The Sami Zayn stuff had me scratching my head a bit, though, way. Because, like, first of all, I didn't know we were doing this. Uh, manage, you can apply for managers' licenses on multiple shows. Uh, the other thing, though, if if you can do that, why would you sign Mojo Riley? Like, that seems like a bad <laughs> business move. Like, like, okay, get, going back to the crisis wave, like the monitor. It's a big crisis in, in the universe. So he's picking Superman and Supergirl and the Flash and Black Lightning and Green Arrow. He's getting the best of the best. Batwoman. Mojo, uh, uh, Sami Zayn over here could pick anybody on this roster to manage, you know, and he's picking Mojo Raleigh, who, to my count, and granted, I haven't been watching Raw as diligently as you and John over the past few months, but I haven't seen a Mojo Raleigh match on Raw in what feels like forever. I can't recall a match, but I mean, I think he's had a, a pretty nice sprint for like the 24-7 championship <laughs> once in a while. I think that's like, what it's... He likes his uh, Sammy likes Mojo's running form. He's like, I could turn that into a champion. Well, the thing is, okay, if you're Sammy Zayn, like, I don't know how, I don't know if you really like have a chance of getting, you know, some of the big players. Like his <laughs> track record's not that great himself. No, with Shinsuke Nakamura and, and Cesaro. So I, I feel like Sammy Zayn pretty much kind of has to start with like anybody who would take him <laughs> at the moment. And I'm guessing Mojo Raleigh was like the only person to like, you know, give him the time of day. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I I continue to be impressed at the way that they're per- portraying Owens here. Like he's kind of slightly paranoid, but also like very quick witted, but just a yeah. badass who always stands tall at the end of this se- these segments. So it, it, I also found it interesting about how like you know w- as far as like the Seth heel turn goes, they were really playing this pretty straight as if like Seth seemed to be telling the truth, and that Owens is just you're you're led to believe that he's just simply be- being paranoid. Uh, and of course, this will all reveal itself by the end of the show. It's it's almost like in TNA when they were trying to play like Sting was kept talking about they, which eventually turned into a mortal, yes. but nobody would believe him. Uh, but obviously TNA being what it was didn't do it nearly as effective as the WWE's doing with Owens. Or or I mean Sting with the NWO. Yeah, that's a good point you know, too. Like uh, where you know of course that turned out with with him actually not being part of the NWO, but like this was like that. I think straight up of a babyface portrayal with Rollins here. We go to Alistair Black versus Akira Tozawa up next, but first we have a quick promo in the back from Buddy Murphy, who says he's got one thing to say, Nate. He's better than Alistair Black. 
and he's going to prove it in their match on Sunday. I mean, it really was about as one note as that, you know, I would say this was about as plain of a wrestling promo as you can get. I've got one thing to say. I'm better than my opponent and I'm going to prove it at our scheduled match on Mm. Sunday. Uh, The match itself goes with uh, Joe. I thought really like, you know, took a, a a bit of a lead lead role here on commentary talking about Aleister Black's striking techniques. Yeah. Um, Early on, a bit of a stalemate here with Tozawa trying to figure out Aleister Black's style. Later, Tozawa delivers his signature suicide dive, and Aleister Black just meets it with a big jumping knee on the floor. Back in the ring, Tozawa takes a second to come to. As he stands up, he immediately eats a black mask to give Black the win. The slow-mo replays on this one, but you know, between the jumping knee and the black mask, I thought looked really good. But I thought those two spots alone made this entire segment a, a pretty successful showcase for Aleister. Yeah, I agree. Again, this is what I was talking about earlier, kind of those those name squatch matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tazawa, to his credit, like he's been doing some really good work making guys look good. Like Black this week, I think he's had a couple matches with Andrade that have made Andrade look really strong. So, yeah, like everybody can't be a star, but, you know, you got to give credit to somebody like Akira Tozawa who has, a, has all the talent in the world but is put in this position to make other guys look good, and, and he does it every week. I think like somebody should establish some jobber rankings of like just the best jobbers. Mm. And I certainly would put Tazawa up there. I'm trying to think who else kind of fits. I mean, I guess Matt Hardy is, is sort of in that, that spot right now. Um, but yeah, like uh, certainly to be commended. Charlie is backstage and introduces us to a highlight video for Humberto Carrillo before interviewing him. Charlie's about to ask a question, but Carrillo is interrupted before he can speak by Zelina and Andrade who come in shouting at him in Spanish, very angry at something. And all of a sudden, you know, Humberto and uh, Andrade have an argument. And Zelina just looks at, surprised at the both of them saying, tonight? So, <laughs> it appear, I mean, it appears to be, you know, a creative way of allowing Humberto to set up a match yeah. without really actually having the, him to do like an awkward scripted English promo about like, <laughs> like burning stuff, uh, which is what they had him do the first time. <laughs> Also, oh. I think one of the things we we learned from this segment as well as a segment later is that Charlie re- really needs to invest in like a language learning program. Oh, Duolingo. It's free. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. She, if she's going to be talking to all of these international superstars, like Charlie really needs to step up her game. It's funny because she actually like, ju- uh, you know, made that comment about how uh, after the Kabuki Warriors like continued this, he, he just she said she realizes she needs to learn new languages so anyway um so yeah i thought all this worked as a pretty easy tease for what was to come we also get a video for live morgan promoting a live morgan makeover coming very soon so uh unfortunately she's not a name i think anybody's really heard from for months ever since they broke up the, the riot squad and it seems like they're finally ready to to give her something and i would say videos are a good sign that they're at least somewhat invested wasn't she on SmackDown like the last time we saw her? That's a great question. I I mean, you wouldn't know it either way. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, I don't know if she's made a, a TV appearance doing anything. Maybe she got so. drafted off screen. She must have, yeah. We got Andrade versus Alberto Carrillo. And uh, Alberto Carrillo's new music. John and I were split on this last week. Um, you Can you be the swing boat? I think I like the old thing better. I'm disappointed. I'm a big fan. 
I'm a big fan of this brand new theme. I like it a lot. <laughs> uh, we'll have I to mean, ask Bra- Braxton. It, yes, I mean it's, it's not a, it's not a bad theme. I just I think I need to get used to it. Maybe that's it. Way. So you know, not much sense about what the storyline is, but the announcers kind of fill in the gaps for us and. There's sort of an insinuation that Andrade was jealous of Roberto giving attention to Zelina. Like, whatever. I'm not sure. Why not? <laughs> because these relationship angles are ratings gold way. Yes, of course. Whatever. So, Humberto, it doesn't matter because this match I thought was awesome. Humberto fights back, high cross, springboard arm drag, big moonsault plancha to the floor, big spots to get this crowd to react really big as we go to break. Some beautiful flips from Carrillo. So, they go up. Carrillo gets caught in this double stop for two. Uh, Andrade's doubles knee, double knees are dodged. Carrillo is about to hit this his Aztec press in the corner, but the execution was unfortunately quite off to the point where it was noticeable to everybody, including the announcers. You know, it, he got a two count and a very flat reaction for it, which I would say perhaps just a lone stumble, stumbling uh, block in the entire match for me. Andrade lands his back elbow for two. Andrade lands his double knees finally, but Carrillo explodes out of the corner with a drop kick. At this point, Zelina is on the apron as Andrade inadvertently runs into her, knocking her off the apron, while Carrillo uses the distraction to apply a victory roll for the win. Mm. What did you think of the match? I like this match a lot. I was, I was actually kind of surprised by the finish just because Andrade's been kept so strong lately. But then again, like uh, Carrillo was certainly somebody that they have plans for. I think watching this match, the only thing that was a negative is I just got really sad thinking about the fact that there's a cap, right? There's a limit to how far these guys can go when you have Brock Lesnar as your universal champion. And it's like, I get Brock being a star, but why when you have talent like uh, Korea, when you have talent like Andrade or or Drew McIntyre, why are we now still in 2019 in a position where Brock is the guy that that's the top dude on the brand is is I almost like consider Brock such a I don't know such a rare kind of special appearance type of thing that I almost don't Mm. even consider him as part of like nobody's going to reach like Brock Lesnar status for decades right um so I almost like don't even consider him part of the race but you know Brock aside what what do you think is the ceiling for somebody like Andrade I think Andrade could be a world champion. I think he's got the talent. I think he's getting better as a character. And obviously, uh, Selena is a great part of the package. And, you know, to what you're saying about Brock, I I think Brock works as a special attraction. I just wish the belt wasn't tied up with him because there's other stories you could really be telling right now with this roster, which is maybe as talented as we've ever seen in this company. But there's a prize they can't fight for because you got somebody else kind of holding it when you know like like i would love to see uh andrade get a shot at the title because i i think he's somebody that could really be a breakout star if they if they give him a chance same with drew what about humberto carrillo i think humberto is maybe a little more of a project uh, and that's not you know disrespecting his ability i just think you know you mentioned it way kind of the language barrier and we've seen how that can be an impediment at least in the company's mind to how we're going to present these guys as stars, uh, you know, especially since he doesn't have somebody speaking for him. Uh, you know, he doesn't have the luxury that uh, Andrade has with Vega. So I think he can, you know, he can be like a a guy in that U.S. title range. Maybe every now and then he'll get a shot at the at the top guy. But I I have far less hope for him than I do for somebody like Andrade 
It's funny you mentioned that because post-match here, Andrade and Zelina have a big argument, pointing fingers at each other, blaming the other for the loss. Mostly Andrade blaming Zelina for the loss. So they are potentially setting up a breakup between these two, or at the very least a tease. And I would be really sad if that was actually executed. But I mean, if that were to be the case, given this storyline, you would you would think it might be Zelina perhaps being paired with Carrillo. Yeah, and that, that would be interesting because I love her as a heel, and I don't know if I don't know if she can work this angle as a face, and I don't know if Carrillo works for me as a heel either. So that that dynamic would be interesting. Mm-hmm. There's certainly like not giving up on Carrillo, continuing to give him some a, a lot of TV time. I, I would say doing a good job of, of finding ways to hide his weaknesses and accentuating his strengths, which is his uh, uh, incredible abilities in ring. So there, I, I think this was, to me, one of his most successful performances. Uh, I kind of like this better than any of his AJ Styles matches. I thought it was a strong yeah. win. And, I mean, the fact that he won, I think, was, you know, the, the biggest thing of that. The announcers put this over as the biggest win of his career as well. And this was also Andrade's first loss since arriving on Raw. Rey Mysterio is in the back. He cuts a promo saying that the U.S. title for him represents the journey he began when he lost his confidence and found again through the help of his son, Dominic. He says he'll be the first to raise AJ's hand if he beats him, but he'll prove tonight that he's worthy of being the U.S. champion. So, sort of I, the same promo yeah. as Murphy, but I thought, anyway, sit, your your thoughts. I was going to say, yeah, it's a, it's, it was a short and sweet promo, but it, Ray, Ray has just gotten so good on this run, and I hate to keep bringing it back to the crisis, waiting, but this season on Arrow, Stephen Amell has found out that he has a grown daughter. And it's made the character of Oliver Queen better. And, and I think Stephen Amell's acting has gotten better. So maybe this introduction of Dominic to the Rey Mysterio storyline just made Rey step up his game. Because I, you know, Kofi squash that happened in the middle of the Rey story aside, I've loved almost everything that they've done with Rey when it, when it comes to Dominic and, and how he's out here trying to represent for his family and for his son in particular. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. We go to Owens in the back, still looking for AOP before we get to our next match. Zack Ryder versus Buddy Murphy. And I guess Ryder uh, firmly in, in these uh, jobber rankings as well. Alistair Black cuts a promo this time as Murphy enters. And he's he's out of breath after his match. Says he hopes that this match is worth it for Buddy because um, something's, something about making a mistake, picking a fight with me. I don't know. John does these way better than I do, so I'm, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> They're having a match on Sunday, everybody. So Ryder in this match lands the broski boot, but Murphy uh, lands on the outside and attacks Hawkins for seemingly no reason. Ryder retaliates on the floor, but comes back into the ring and eats a knee and Murphy's law. So this was also a very quick squash and really exactly all it needed to be, as this puts both Murphy and Black over strong as they head into TLC. Yes, and and again, I, I think... One of the things that we've stumbled on this week way is the jobber rankings. So we, so to me, is Buddy Murphy at like the top of the jobber rankings or the bottom of the regular rankings? Because he, because he you feels know, like he's somewhere in there. I would say Murphy probably was at the top, but I think he's graduated now from the 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 jobber rankings um, into the bottom of the real rankings. <laughs> I suppose it's like so, a like an English soccer club that gets called up from relegation. <laughs> yeah, I I suppose though you can argue that if he loses on Sunday to Aleister Black, I mean it, this really could just be a glorified 
jobber match too. But yeah. no, no, I, I think they're giving Murphy at least a little bit. You know, they're giving him promo time. They seem to have some interest in 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 promoting him as an actual star beyond just somebody to be forgotten about, like Zack Ryder here. So, um, I'm not saying he can't return, but I think at the moment he's firmly out. Oh, that should be back. that should be the pre-show matches from now on, way for the uh, like the uh, the pay-per-views. Oh, yeah. Like forget like putting the tag title matches on or the or the cruiserweight title matches on. It should be like jobber matches so he can get the pecking order. Like who's the best or the worst? Here's the thing though, because like to me, jobber rankings you advance not because you get a win, but because of how good of a job you do. Ooh, as a jobber, you know that's how I rank them. Like who, so, who so puts both on the guys match are trying to lose the match. <laughs> Make their opponents looking. Make their opponent look good. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like that's it. how you advance. Somebody, somebody can make a graphic. Kevin Owens is backstage, finds AOP's black van, and he just starts smashing it with this, this lead pipe. He breaks the windows, he opens up the back, and he discovers that there's somebody sitting back there. But before he can figure out who it is, AOP attack him from behind, and they smash the van's back door into his head. Mm. The, the person in the back is, for some reason, wearing a hood and slowly turns around like in a swivel chair in the back of a <laughs> van. <laughs> so I don't know what, what sort of van this was, why there was a swivel chair, but you know, uh, it was a wonderfully dramatic reveal because the person swivels around, takes the hood off, and it's Seth freaking oh. Rollins. <laughs> uh, I love this way. I love this. Like, first of all, like Kevin Owens deserved that beat down. You just can't go smashing people's property. Uh, but second of all, the fact that we had the swivel chair in the back of the van, like this A-team van, and, and you have the, the slow, dramatic turn. Like, Seth Rollins would have fit in tonight on, on the uh, crossover as, as a villain because that was, that was maybe my favorite Seth Rollins moment of the year, Way this is, this is almost like one of those vans where you would expect there to be like computers yes. like back there, like a, like a hideout type of control center thing. So maybe that's what this used to be. Oh, that was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so Rollins uh, reveals that he has, in fact, at least on this episode, been working with AOP. Rollins says, it's come to this, Kev. It's a shame. I'm sorry. And he delivers a curb stomp to Owens as he, as he stands side by side with AOP. So at this point, the heel turn is complete. What did you think of uh, how it was done? Spinning chair aside. I liked it. Uh, you know, everything from the night after uh, Survivor Series where you had everybody kind of walk out on Seth to this moment here, it makes sense. Like, I think, you know, what they were trying to do with Bailey, where she felt like she was being a role model and she was being a, a leader and a hero, but in reality, she was being a villain. Like, it didn't quite work with Bailey, but with Seth, it fits, you know, in part because of how fans feel about him, you know, due to his social media behavior, where he thinks he's the hero of this story, but actually, he's the bad guy. I, so I, I've loved everything about this Seth Rollins uh, heel turn like it's been probably the one of the best things on raw you know the past month or so so rollins follows this up by directly just coming out into the stage and cutting his first real heel promo mm. he comes out and says to the audience what do you want from me he says you and i we used to get along and then it went wrong and he's trying to figure out why he says he did everything right didn't take any nights off fought through his injuries laid it all on the line for each and every single one of us, stuck his neck out for everybody, and not just in the ring, but in the media as well. Mm. But he says he continually got disrespected, and he's sick of it. 
Rollins says he was actually telling the truth last week when he wasn't working with AOP, but the truth wasn't good for any of us because some flavor of the month loudmouth like Kevin Owens said so. So Rollins says the truth isn't good enough, so he asked the crowd in 2019 what is good enough for them. He beat Brock Lesnar twice, brought the title back to Raw, and that was still not enough. At this point, the crowd starts chanting, you suck. Rollins says, I hear you. And Rollins says, you want to push me? Well, it's time for Seth freaking Rollins to push back. He says, your negativity has become a self-fulfilling prophecy that has turned your fiction into fact. And, <laughs> and it's turned him to stand side by side with the AOP. So it was your fault, Nate. Nate, it was yes. my fault, too. It was all of our faults. Uh, what a promo from Seth. What do you think? I loved it, man. Like, this was Seth Rollins getting his he, – he went full Lex Luthor on this one where, you know, it's not my fault that I'm hurting you. I was trying to, I was trying to save everybody, but you, wouldn't, you didn't appreciate that. And because of that, you've pushed me to this point where now I have to destroy you. And so I, I loved it, man. Like, from bringing in the social media stuff to bringing in how the crowd has responded to him, it works. And, like, this, this, this heel turn and this promo in particular – was so good that it almost makes that terrible fiend feud worth it. Yeah, seriously. I mean, when you look at like the the year that Seth Rollins has had, um, I mean, certainly it was not a good year for many reasons. But to see this at the end of the tunnel, mm. like, almost makes it all one really wonderful long story when you like go back and watch it. And obviously, at the beginning of this year, I can't imagine this to have been like sort of the final destination. No, but. But once they they had the opportunity and they went there with Seth, the man knocked it out of the park with this promo. Like, I don't know if you caught him on backstage last week, but, you know, he was saying very much the same things. Like, he doesn't know why, like, all of a sudden the audience doesn't like him. And here it felt like he was taking those very same real frustrations off of his chest, but doing it in a heel promo. Mm. And it was fucking wonderful. Like, this was, I think, one of those rare heel promos where you can totally understand. And it may, in fact, it maybe even in some ways have sympathy for the guy because everything he's saying is not wrong. Yeah. He never missed a night off. Like he fought through his injuries. He fought hard every single time yet. We didn't like him. And obviously there are some very clear reasons for that is because like, you know, he got really lame. His promo sucked. Uh, <laughs> his, his voice was inauthentic and you know, he was an, an asshole on, on Twitter. Like these are all, all whatever, like, you know, arguments but i can totally buy that somebody like the character of seth rollins sees us like the audience as you know people that have betrayed him and using that as just like fuel to be a bad guy yeah fuck this was good i love this yeah this, this was excellent and again the best villains are the ones that are the heroes of their own stories the ones that have valid reasons for their actions and yeah, like so everything, the the Bray Wyatt feud, the the Brock Lesnar stuff, the the stuff with with Becky, the the social media stuff, it all makes sense that this is where this character would end up at the end of the year, you know, having gone through everything that he's gone through. And so like my only question way with all of this is will they do anything with Becky Lynch or will they just ignore it? Well, that's so fascinating. What, what's so fascinating is that right after Seth Rollins exits the stage, the next person to come out is Becky Lynch. So I'm almost wondering if they were purposefully like drawing our attention to that future mm. interaction by by having Becky's entrance placed right here. Because you have to imagine the fans would immediately thinking about her reaction to Seth Rollins' actions. 
right? So I imagine that they would do some sort of segment where I think they would try to have Becky distance herself from what's what's going on with Seth in a way. Oh, that, no, oh no way. Oh, no. Well, yeah. Becky, no. Becky's going to want a divorce. No, she's going to, you know. <laughs> uh, oh, God, I, I hate to even think about that. You know, I, it, it could be that they'll just completely ignore it. But I almost felt like this was almost too convenient to like. Yeah. To not like you know get the audience to to actually try to think about what what Becky must be thinking. So we have another segment up next. Becky Lynch in a handicap match taking on the Kabuki Warriors. This is a like you know a, similar to what Charlotte did last week. The man Becky Lynch says she's here to collect an old debt, and she elaborated on Twitter about this about uh, showing a photo of her title loss to Asuka from this year's Royal Rumble, and apparently I guess this is what she wants to get revenge for. So. <laughs> We come off of a distraction from Kyrie saying as Asuka gains control over Becky. Lynch fights back, dodges an insane elbow, dodges an attack from Asuka. Becky hits her leg drop, but Asuka avoids it and locks in the Asuka lock. Becky reverses and puts the Asuka lock on Asuka herself, but Kyrie drags him out of the ring. Becky dies off the apron and eats a knee from Asuka, and they tease a count out, but Becky barely makes it. Eats another knee from Asuka as she returns into the ring for two. The Kabuki Warriors hit a doomsday forearm strike for two. Then Sane hits the insane elbow as Becky gets her feet up. And then a mistimed rock bottom, unfortunately, from Becky to Asuka was, you know, a blemish on this match. Becky hits the disarmor on Sane as Asuka again pulls them out. And then Asuka just grabs a steel chair ringside to attack Becky with to cause a DQ. What'd you think of the match? It was solid. I mean, you know, with the caliber of, of performers that you had, it wasn't going to be bad. Um, I think the Kabuki Warriors are being successful in spite of the direction I think the company has given them. Like, like we really still don't know a whole lot about Asuka and Kyrie Sane and why they've chosen to go this route. Uh, and I don't think we'll ever get it. Uh, the, the one thing, though, that... And, and we will get to it when we get to the segment later with Charlotte way is I, I kind of like the storytelling, but it feels like they've done it backwards because we started this thing a month ago or so with a tag title match with Charlotte and Becky versus the Kabuki Warriors. So like we started at the end and now we're going totally. back to the beginning. And we had the Natalia uh, defeat of, of Asuka and somehow yep. that leading into like this program with with Becky taking uh, Natalia's place. Yes, is weird. weird. Yeah. Uh, as far as this match goes, I thought last week's week's match was really good. It, it really pleasantly surprised me seeing Charlotte in the great match she had with the Kabuki Warriors. Mm. I didn't have the same expectations for this, of course, but I, I I thought this was, you know, a bit of a far cry from what that was. Wasn't that bad, but I, I wasn't nearly as good. Some of it mistimed. I didn't really feel the fun or the urgency of the match last week. And in fact, kind of found myself like, Feeling like this went a little bit too long with too many near falls and too many kickouts, mm. especially if you're delivering a non-finish at the end of it. You know, um, it's I don't know if I would have booked this match, period, just because you're retreading on so many of the same things and delivering an inferior version of, I think, what, what came before. And really, how are you supposed to book yourself out of this one? You know, yeah. it's not like the Kabuki Warriors could lose and neither could really Becky lose in this scenario. So I, I, I just wasn't really that big of a fan of, of the match itself. But it does end with a big table spot as uh, Kyrie de Saint de delivers an insane elbow through a table. The OC are backstage, and AJ says Gallows and Anderson are the best tag team in the world, and they've proven this because they beat the Viking Raiders at Crown Jewel. So they threaten 
that they will take the belts from the Viking Raiders at some point. So building to that, unsure when that match will be, but Gallows and Anderson versus the Raiders uh, seems to be the next program in the tag team division. AJ says he's going to be beat Ray for the U.S. title tonight, and if Randy Orton sticks his nose in their business again, the OC will end his career forever or for life. <laughs> what do you think of AJ as a villain? Uh, it is good. Uh, and I like the I like the OC, but it feels kind of like they're treading water a little bit. Not that not that what they're doing is bad, but it feels like they're just kind of spinning their wheels. Like I, I think AJ and Randy can do some good things. Uh, I just don't know if this is the spot where I'd have the OC right now on the card. Man, AJ, I think is like I I I do find elements of him being this over the top villain, daring. Mm. But I, lately, on this particular run, I've actually just found him really generic. You know, um, just the guy who just, I don't know, ha- yells. Mm. Uh, he's got a gimmick that I feel offers very little in terms of newness or, or creativity. Especially the when homo- you co- uh, contrast it to what Seth just did. Yes, absolutely. You know, like, I don't have any real motivation about, like, who this AJ Styles is other than, like, him being just sort of a cartoony villain who just, like, acts cocky. He's He kind of just speaks in, like, a very generic mid-card level pro wrestling villain type of way. So I would definitely want to see a bit more kind of, you know, uh, evolution, perhaps, in that entire act. Becky well, is ev- doc- Evolution is the other group that's going into the Hall of Fame way. Shit, you're right. Some- well, that, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. It's saving that for next year. <laughs> That'll be Flair's third ring. Um, Becky is in the doctor's office, and Charlotte asks how that went. Becky says, fine. Uh, if it meant I'll get my shot at Asuka anyway. So in the hallway, Kyrie and Asuka attack Charlotte with a steel chair. Eric Rowan is taking on this jobber in this match, Nate. The <laughs> bell rings. And this jobber <laughs> just immediately exits the ring, runs towards Eric Rowan's cage, runs it all the way up to the ramp where he leaves it. And <laughs> Rowan at this point chases after it. And this jobber just circles back around the arena, back into the ring as he gets the ref to start the count. The, man, this was the smartest jobber yes. I've ever seen. This guy immediately shoots up to the top of the jobber rankings. Oh, my man, my man tried to hit him with that with that 2K cheat code right there. Like yeah. we're gonna we're gonna get this count out victory and we're gonna get out of town with a paycheck. But I, I liked it because it added some creativity to this whole Eric Rowan thing, which mm-hmm. to be honest, way I haven't I haven't really been feeling as of yet, but at least this was a nice little wrinkle on the standard squash match. So the ref's starting to count, the crowd's going crazy for it, and at this point Rowan realizes what's happening. He runs back into the ring in time and just destroys this poor guy. So much so that the ref had to call the match on a TKO, which I, I like that they did. Um, anyway, I, I love how they're booking. Like like you said, Nate, like finding an interesting wrinkle with all of these just otherwise typical pretty, you know, jobber squash matches. And I, I love how they're booking these jobbers as if like they're either really clueless or just suddenly people with the biggest balls in the world like this kid. Um, in the end, the goal really, of course, is to make Rowan so angry that he has a reason to destroy these guys. And yeah. they always get to that point. I, I thought this was very creative and entertaining. Charlie is in the back with the Kabuki Warriors, and they cut a cocky promo in Japanese. And this is when Charlie says she needs to learn more languages. So Asuka then speaks in English, challenging you to challenge us for their tag team titles. And we see Becky and Charlotte both in the doctor's office backstage. And they both just have this moment where they're both like beaten up sitting there and they both just agree to fight them. And they decide to up the ante by 
challenging them to a tables, ladders, and chairs match. So that's what we'll be getting on Sunday. And then, Nate, we have the Monday after the weekend update. (laughs) The debut segment with Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford in the same style as Saturday Night Live's weekend update. So it's a new faux newscast as they're talking about ongoing storylines. And their first zinger was about um, Asuka with green mist looking like she's eaten baby Yoda. And they go on to talk about Disney Plus. And this is, of course, complete with audience laugh track as, yes. you know, SNL uh, because of the parody. USA has a new reality star. After the Fiend's attack of the Miz, because the Fiend will now be debuting in The Fiend and Mrs. That's not even a joke. That's not even. That's, so I, look, I, wait, wait. I, I put up with a lot with these WWE shows. And, and obviously, we have to give them some leeway here and there. But that's not even a joke. That's just putting one word in the place of another word. It's not clever. Not clever at all. <laughs> well, well, Nate, how about this one? Tonight, another monster with mood swings got her wish. As. Wait, wait a second. <laughs> Am I doing that right? I probably fucked it up. Rusev gets his wish, a match with Lashley. And they tell Rusev to get out. Okay. I, I fucked that one up probably, but this one I think I'll get. <laughs> Dawkins says King Corbin has Napoleon complex. And Ford corrects him, saying that Corbin is bigger than the both of them. Napoleon Complex is for short people. But Dawkins says he might be bigger than us, but not where it counts. <sighs> you know, I, I found that it's this about as funny as, as a weekend update on SNL, mm. which is to say I, I didn't find it funny at all. <laughs> like, I think the idea is cute. The execution is fine. But the yeah. punchlines were, like, really corny. And perhaps, like... Like corny bad comedy is perhaps what they're actually going for, but what were your thoughts? Any enjoyment out of this was due to the performance, not the material. Uh, like I think Dawkins and Ford did as best they could. I also like the maybe the one thing I did like is that they actually had some continuity and they referenced the uh, Viking Raiders match because that was my thing. I was like, these guys just had a match and now they're showing up here like everything's cool, but at least they acknowledge that they got beat up an hour ago. Yes, yes, yes. You know, as a recap segment, I thought this was perhaps an interesting change-up from the style that they were doing before, which I think had run, run its course. Mm. I, I think the visual treatment is is strong. It gives them something like uniquely their own. I'm willing to give it another another chance, but you know, the expectations are certainly higher when you try to deliver comedy in a setting like this. And unless you expressly, like, s- try to tell the audience that this is supposed to be bad and you're not supposed to laugh. Right. Um, I feel like it'll just end up being flat for a lot of people. But, I mean, I- I'm curious to know what how other people feel about this. They might love it. They might not. And I think the big thing with, uh, with, with the uh, Street Profits is what got them over was them being themselves. Like, their sensibilities and their sense of humor. And... Mm-hmm. This certainly, like, while they, I think they did the best they could with it, this felt like somebody else putting words in their mouth and words that weren't funny. Or just the concept, even. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would see these two coming up with this on their own. Yeah. Like, I, I would, I, I could see a version of this, but I, I certainly, like, I don't think for a second these guys are hanging out, like, 
at their house or like while eating food joking about um like baron corbin having a napoleon complex but not being <laughs> bigger than the both of them were it counts or the fiend and misses like i don't see that at all so, baby yoda <laughs> like yeah like she she's looking like she just ate baby yoda <laughs> our main event nate the u.s title aj styles taking on the champion Rey mysterio and aj was working really fast here at the beginning uh so much so that ray was saying easy bro easy uh gallows and anderson at some point come out this distraction allows aj to gain advantage as we head to a commercial break Really cool spot is Rey Mysterio coming back from break, slingshots himself through the ropes, delivering a sunset bomb to AJ into the barricade. Rey Mysterio's springboard moonsault is caught, but he turns it into a swing DDT. He's about to hit the 619, but Gallows is blocking it. Anderson then distracts him, allowing AJ to hit an Ushigoroshi for two. Rey is sitting up top. He's about to deliver a, a Hurricane Rana to, to AJ Styles. And you can clearly tell that the spot they're trying to go for here is a super styles clash. Yeah. But unfortunately, somebody, AJ, you know, uh, seemed to lose his footing and they both fumbled down here. And unfortunately, here to recover, AJ decides to just pick up Ray, power bombs him, hits another styles clash on the mat. At this point, this is when Randy Orton appears, you know, at, and they're really close at this moment, 2 11 p.m. So much so that the signature already comes up even before the close of the match. So Randy doesn't hit an RKO, but instead he just causes another distraction, which allows Ray to suddenly small package AJ for the win. And the show immediately fades to black. So they were clearly running very close. Yeah, I was surprised. Like I, I was all expecting a an overrun, and like, no, we got we got to get out of here because we got to get Modern Family on the air. And so yeah, that that caught me by surprise a little bit. They stopped overruns for for a while now. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm I'm glad somebody came to the census because I was I was all honking anyway. I was like, we're gonna be here till eleven fifteen, eleven eighteen maybe. But no, we we got right to the Dunphy family, and I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. <laughs> they had hard outs, but uh, you know, um, what is it? NXT, of course, has them now. So yeah, and again, they, and, and they, the, they gave them to the better show. Yeah, I, <laughs> I guess, or the show that kind of maybe needs the the boost a bit more. Yeah, that that is true. Uh, the show that's actually in a war for for ratings, uh, but no, I thought AJ and uh, Ray, you know, botch aside, I thought they they had good chemistry in the ring. Uh, seeing them in kind of matching outfits, uh, I don't want to steal WH Park's gimmick here, but uh, seeing them in matching outfits just made me want to see them team up for some reason. I was like, oh, that that'd be an interesting little tandem. At another time, yeah, that would be cool. I thought I thought it was a good match between two, you know, obviously like two of the best of all time. But yeah. I I found here they were delivering a very smart conservative TV match that was very well done and very entertaining. Unfortunately, all it all kind of fell apart in the end, not just with the finish with the Styles Clash, but also just the awkward timing seemingly yep. of everything. Uh, but I like the booking in theory. You know, AJ is so concerned about Orton that he ends up losing not because of an Orton attack, but because of parano of his paranoia. Meanwhile, Ray keeps the belt, and you add more fuel to Randy versus AJ. So while it's not yet official for TLC at the time of this recording, it may be very shortly that we'll get Randy Orton versus AJ Styles. Mm. Um, so, so just to update everybody, coming off of this go-home show for TLC, we have Rusev versus Lashley added to it, likely a tables match, Murphy versus Black, Charlotte and Becky versus the Kabuki Warriors in a TLC match, very likely Orton versus AJ as well. 
And then also, uh, in addition, on the SmackDown side of things already confirmed, we have Miz versus Bray Wyatt, New Day versus Revival, and Roman Reigns versus King Corbin in a TLC match. Uh, how excited are you for this show? I mean, it's, it should be a solid card way, but I'm not like I'm not ready at all for TLC. It feels like we just finished with Survivor Series and are dealing with the aftermath of that. And so it feels like, yeah, we're we're rushing into this too quick for my taste. Uh, but that being said, I think that there's, there's at least three or four really strong matches on that card. I don't know if I'm going to be like super enthusiastic to tune in that night, but <laughs> maybe maybe I'll watch it next Monday instead of raw we go to the forum now forum.postwrestling.com for your feedback nate will you be joining me for for this feedback i mean we sure. don't have a... all right wonderful so feedback do... or sorry forum.postwrestling.com in our postwrestling cafe section what did you guys think of raw on a scale of one to ten 5.77 oh wow. would you what would you rate the show nate Honestly, like I, I know six out of ten is the gimmick, but I was ex- and maybe it's because I was expecting a bad show with the divorce stuff off the top. But I was pleasantly surprised by a lot of the stuff that we got tonight. Way like Seth's promo was mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, Andrade Carrillo was a good match. Uh, AJ and Ray outside of that botch was a good match. Uh, Street Profits and the Viking Raiders was a good little uh, quick match there. And then you know I know we've been joking about the jobbers all night, but I like the way that they're finding different creative ways to kind of use these enhancement guys uh, to help out some other people on the roster. So I'm going to give tonight's raw, I'm going to give it seven earths out of 10. Wait, seven earths out of 10. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with your, your uh, usual rating Nate of a six out of 10. I thought this was uh, an enjoyable show. I think for all the reasons you listed, I suppose it was just a three hour drag that like really did hit me on this yeah. particular show. Um, and I guess that usually takes a lot to recover from. But I will say, like, I think these shows continue to move at a pretty good pace. I, again, I like the, the way that they're scheduling or they're formatting the whole thing with, like, cliffhangers bleeding from one segment to another, repeated interactions of, like, you know, sing- singular storylines throughout the entire course of a show. Like, we had multiple appearances from Kevin Owens throughout the evening, multiple appearances from Becky and Charlotte throughout the evening. So keeps... At least it has it has a way of like keeping me a bit more engaged. But let's see what you guys thought. We start with Paul from New Jersey, who says, "Post Survivor Series, I've enjoyed Raw for the most part, and I thought tonight was excellent. Strong promos, coherent storytelling, and showcasing new stars. Everything KO Rollins was terrific. Seth Rollins cut one of the best promos of his career tonight. Humberto Humberto overcomes the odds and gets a great reaction from the crowd, defeating Andrade and Zelina. I wonder if Sin Cara Cara was watching." Enjoying the Riggs and Murda vibe from Becky and Charlotte. I don't know who that is. Oh, uh, Riggs and Murtaugh from uh, Lethal Weapon. Danny Glover and oh. Mel Gibson. Oh, God. Please don't at me, everybody, for not watch, having seen Lethal Weapon. Uh, hey, hey. To, it, to Way's defense, uh, I, I don't know if you want me to tell the listeners this, but uh, Way has been drinking all night, so he's he's had a little <laughs> bit of the foily. So. I think we got a new T-shirt idea. <laughs> me and you, Nate, Lethal Weapon. Oh, hey, I, I would love that. I would love that. Somebody, somebody get on that. The more Sami Zayn, the better. Few nitpicks. The cuck angle might have been tolerable if it didn't go on for so long. And Lana wasn't the worst actress. Also, that Street Profits weekend update was a friggin', was friggin' atrocious. Otherwise, a very good show, 7.5. All right, let's go to uh, Andrew from Cape Breton. So since getting back from the night shift, this is the first Raw I've watched since August. And I must say, while this whole angle with Rusev, Lana, and Lashley has sounded awful, 
I can't help but really like Rusev. He is very charming, and he's an excellent baby face. Now, granted, Bobby Lashley should probably be wrestling for the world title and be a top star on Raw, but I guess this really has been his calling since returning to the WWE. It's either Sami Zayn and his burner accounts or bad Rusev angles. But at least Rusev is over, right? The show flowed pretty well tonight, except for the end, which seemed pretty abrupt. Speaking of which, 5 out of 10 show. Yeah, probably abrupt because they ran out of time. We've got an MJ from NJ who says, Two highlights. The Monday after the weekend update was great. Best use of private, I mean street profits, in weeks. When asked, what do you call that move to the outside? And Joe answers with sunset flip into the barricade. (laughs) He's great. Uh, good finish to the show, ruined by a hard cut at 11. Raw, as a one-hour show, is perfectly fine. Yeah, I did notice that when I was watching this way. I was like, like you said, that third hour, especially after, you know, because all the superhero stuff was over at 10. Mm-hmm. So that third hour, I'm coming down off of, you know, the, the Crisis on Infinite Earths and the Black Lightning mid-season finale, and I'm here watching, uh, watching the... The weekend update. I think that might have been the first segment coming back at 10 o'clock. And I'm like, really? This this is this is what you do, Vince McMahon. This is what you give me. Um, it, it was that. I thought it was like, for me, I really felt it during the Becky Kabuki Warriors match, mm. which, you know, um, if, if I think it was a little bit shorter, I might have had a bit more tolerance for it. But it did just kind of hit me for that one. All right. We got uh, one more piece of feedback here from... Uh, Nas in NYC. Seriously, Vince got bored of the Street Profits already? <laughs> How could this have happened? Are there any other tag teams for the Viking Raiders to even face on Raw? I mean, there's the I, AOP. Well, I mean, I can't really... Obviously, Nas is referring to like the, the Street Profits losing to the Viking Raiders, but I can't say that they've gotten bored of them. They, they built their own segment for them on this particular show. Yeah. So... So I mean, I mean Vince, I, Vince actually built them a studio with with a working light rig that uh your man uh damn now I'm drawing a blank. Sami Zayn's newest acquisition, Mojo. Oh, Mojo's Mojo, probably yeah. working the lights. Uh. Yeah. He's doing <laughs> the Chiron. He's yep, up the yep. green screen, green screen, and everything. Yeah. Matt Hardy's running the camera. Maybe that's what all the Jobber Division guys are doing. They've got Jeez. secondary jobs on the crew as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if it's so much that they they've given gotten bored of him because I, I you know they're certainly featuring them more, uh, but you know I think it's more more so maybe as Nate said, there's they're very much in love with their charisma that they feel like they are uh, willing to sacrifice their in ring credibility perhaps. Yeah, and I, I think there's a balance, so I hope they don't lean too far uh, with the comedy stuff. Uh, Nas continues, I hate to admit it, but this stupid angle has gotten Rusev over. That was the hottest the crowd got all show. Seth Rollins' heel promo was excellent. Raw has been good recently, and I hope the ratings turn around soon because you can see that they are actually trying to get new stars over. You think these releases are an indictment on AEW as to how Vince doesn't see them as a credible threat anymore? Could, like, you know, as as I kind of alluded to earlier on, like, I don't know if if the a set of releases like this would have taken place, let's say, three, four months ago. Mm. With AEW just kind of looming uh, like that, I think now that again, like the the cards are kind of on the table, and we see that AEW has its own challenges to go through a very a roster that's really getting bloated on their side of things too. You know, it, it, I do sense less of a concern. At the same time, I think it, it should be mentioned that 
you know, um, how much value is there to keeping employees that don't want to be there? Yep. And again, like, you know, what sort of a PR hit are you going to be taking by looking like you are, I don't know, um, do you know, keeping people around in, in just such a petty manner? Um, the other thing I, I heard Brian Alvarez mention today on Wrestling Observer Live was that, you know, Luke Harper, I believe, um, if if I think previous reports are to be believed, like his contract was really going to run out somewhere around April anyway. Mm. So this release right now, coupled with a 90 day no compete, I mean, essentially, it just gives him what, like maybe a month, you know, uh, ahead. So yeah. it could be WWE perhaps, you know, seeing this and saying, OK, rather than the guy running out his contract himself, why don't we get a bit of like pop, like nice publicity from it? Uh, looking like a bit of the good guy giving him his release. I don't know. Some of that is just a, a speculation, but I, I mean, I, a I lot think of you, it can be possible. You hit on a good point, though, Way Like, why? Like, obviously, you can't do this for everybody because everybody, you know, has gripes with their boss from time to time. But why would you keep somebody that doesn't want to be there and that you're not using anyway? Uh, you know, we, we kind of talked about this on Nubian Wrestling Advocates a little bit with the ACH situation. Like, obviously that's a much different story than, than Luke Harper or the Ascension or anybody else that, that was released. But I, I don't see it as much as Vince not caring about AEW as making the best move for his own roster. So, you know, there, cause there's like, we like, you know, getting back to our jobbers, there are guys that really aren't doing a lot on the main roster. And so why would you take up spots? Why would you use up resources for guys that aren't on TV and guys that aren't happy. So it makes sense for the guys. It makes sense from the WWE's perspective. And like we said earlier, I don't see any of those guys really going to AEW just because it doesn't, it doesn't fit in my mind what AEW is trying to do right now. And speaking of the, the, uh, um, the uh, newbie and wrestling advocates, Nate, where can people find that as well as all of your other work? Yes, uh, thank you, Wei Ting. The Nubian Wrestling Advocates, uh, you can find that. Right now, we're doing it monthly. Uh, it may pick up in the new year, uh, but we just released our December show featuring myself, Chris from L.A., and Rich Fan from Pro Wrestling Torch. Uh, he hosts the Deep Dive. And so uh, we talked about uh, the Jim Cornette situation. We talked about ACH, because uh, this was right after ACH had said that uh, he was quitting on Twitter. And so uh, we talked about that a little bit. Uh, we gave our thoughts on the New Day podcast, which is excellent. And when you get through listening to Post Wrestling, I would recommend that uh, show for all of the listeners out there. Uh, and, and then we just kind of talked about the Wednesday Night War in general between AEW and NXT. And you can find that at the Kings of Sport Patreon. Uh, the first episode that we did last month with Andrew Thompson that is available for free right now. Uh, but then the episode that we just did with Rich and all subsequent episodes of the NWA podcast will be available to patrons only. So, uh, you know, sign up for five bucks and uh, you get to hear uh, some some wrestling talk from maybe a different perspective than you're getting from some of the other shows that you listen to out there. It's it's a show I, I, I'm, I'm more than making time in my schedule for. Um, and it's just incredibly intelligent discussion from a number of really intelligent minds. So I highly recommend it as well as a, a number of your other Patreon shows available uh, at, what is it? Patreon.com. Uh, Patreon.com, yep. Backslash the Kings of Sport. Perfect. And thank, and... thank you for those, for those kind words, Way I appreciate it. And then uh, uh, if anybody wants to find me on Twitter, um, this, this might not be the best week for me for Twitter because college football, NFL, 
Uh, I still got one more night of the the crisis on Infinite Earths to get through, so I, I might be, you know, kind of away Don't from Twitter for a while. Don't you tweet about actually, all that? Tonight I was, uh, and that's the other thing. I was watching Raw, watching Crisis, and watching Black Lightning, and I'm one of the co-hosts on the Black Lightning podcast uh, over at the DC TV Podcast Network, and I was live tweeting Black Lightning while flipping back and forth watching Raw. So that's that's an experience. So how many podcasts do you actually host, Nate? Oh, let's let's see. Uh, inf- the, 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 the quick answer would be Infinite Podcast. Uh, but we've got Kings of Sport. We've got the NWA Podcast. we got, of course, the Rocky Mind Via Picture Show here on Post Wrestling. We've got the Black Lightning Podcast. I'm one of the co-hosts on the main event over on uh, the uh, Place to Be Nation Network. And then I do, you know, sporadic shows here and there. So... Five dedicated shows and, and maybe sprinkle in a couple, one or two other shows during the month. That's amazing. Well, um, you are one of the hardest working people, and I think one of my favorite bo- broadcasters, period, Nate. So uh, find all his work at N, the number eight, M O Z A I K for everything. Thank you so much for uh, sacrificing your evening for us, Nate. Hopefully, next Monday you can dedicate a bit more of your full attention to Crisis. I, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. And, I mean, it's uh, it's never a sacrifice. In the words of Oliver Queen waiting, it's never a sacrifice when you're doing things for the people that you love. So I just hope the listeners keep me in their hearts. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, as uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'll be back tomorrow with John Pollock on the Patreon for Rewind Away, ECW on TNN, D- December 31st, 1999, and then uh, a million other shows the rest of this week. So we'll be keeping you company uh, for the entire period, and we'll probably even bother you even if you don't want to listen to us. We're just going to like automatically start playing because we'll, we'll have so many shows. So thank you for listening, everybody. Talk to you soon.